Hello, welcome to Women in Design, a podcast for talking shop with women in technology, design, and user experience. I'm Christy Leach. I'm a strategist in Chicago, Illinois, and you're listening to episode one of Women in Design. So in this episode, I spoke with Morgan Caputo. Morgan's a UX manager at SpringCM, which is a software company here in Chicago that builds contract management solutions. I found out about Morgan actually through one of her product managers. I was at a meetup and I was wearing a name tag that had UX on it and he came over and started talking to me all about what Morgan was doing at their company. So of course that was pretty amazing and I definitely wanted to talk to Morgan and um, found out we also have a mutual friend from DePaul where she also teaches in the HCI program. So um, she agreed to record this podcast with me and we talked about how she started from being a team of one to having a growing UX group there at SpringCM. She gives lots of specific examples of the activities and just the overall state of mind that worked well for her. It sounds like she's got the product teams working with the UX group to a degree that a lot of companies wish they had. And I know it gave me a lot of ideas. So here's our talk. the story of, of how I got here and how I ended up being, you know, so into user experience. Um, I didn't really realize that my career was always focused on crafting experiences for people. So um, when I was young, I was really into theater. So I did a lot of like writing and directing and, um, you know, building out these worlds on a stage. And then as I, as I got a little older, I got into um, marketing and publicity. So that has a lot to do with, you know, how people are motivated by things. And, um, and then I got into event design. And I was actually doing a lot of party planning and um, big million-dollar fundraising galas. Um, and, and so that really, too, is also about managing an experience, you know, in, in a physical space from the moment somebody um, enters the door and picks up their table cards to the minute they're taking their goodie bags and leaving. So... I don't think I really knew it at the time, but all the lessons that I learned about, you know, creating those worlds and um, really thinking about the emotional journeys that people are going to take um, inside of an experience that you're designing for them, all of that became lessons that, you know, I think about now and kind of power what I do now in really interesting ways. So how did you find out about UX and kind of recognize that it was relevant to what you were doing. Oh yeah, that's a that's a really great that's a pretty good story. I was working at um I was working at a design studio, but I wasn't doing a lot of the design work myself. And what I was doing was actually coordinating the technology that everybody was using in order to do their do their work. And um and there would be these just 
these moments where I would wonder why the heck I couldn't get, um, you know, the other, the other designers to use the software that we'd bought because it had all the features, um, that they theoretically should want in order to, you know, power their workflows and become more efficient. But I was having all these adoption issues and I could always kind of trace it back to something that was fundamentally wrong with that interface that was causing people in this case, really, really busy, um, really busy people to say, I don't have the time to learn this. And so, you know, I kind of had these dreams of being able to change one thing on the screen because I swore it would make my job so much easier. Um, and, and I was also at the same time, you know, kind of helping out with their website and, and maintaining those pieces of the puzzle. And we were working with a consultant that was building out our new blog for us. And I mentioned, you know, that, that frustration. And she said, well, have you ever heard of user experience design? Like, did you know that there's an entire career in that? Um, and I said, no. And, you know, I think, this woman really deserves like a lot more of my thanks than I've ever properly given her over the years for pointing me in the direction of UX. And from there, it was kind of gravy. I started checking out programs and I ended up at DePaul and, um, you know, just did a lot of learning um, in the space. And, and it was something that, you know, really came to me, I think, pretty naturally because of um, a lot of experience and a lot of practice I'd had over the years empathizing with people. Yeah, I was at the UXD Chicago meetup last week. And one thing they talked about was um, how many times the speaker had heard um, people say, oh, I finally discovered there was a word for what I was doing or finally recognized UX was something that I, I was already doing. I heard people talking about that just being a common experience for them. Um, well, so it's also a pretty good story how you got um, hired at Spring CM and how that interview process went. Yeah, that was um, that was interesting. So at the time, I had been doing a lot of freelance work. I was working with um, another uh, group of designers, kind of more on the visual end of things. And I was in school, and it was finally time to really think about sinking my teeth into something a little bit meatier um, in terms of like a full time UX role. And so I was in, interviewing in a lot of places, and I think. One thing you learn pretty quickly when you're trying to find that UX job um, is that not everybody understands what UX is, right? And so at the time, you know, four or five years ago, I think UX was even um, more misunderstood. Right, even and by the people who are hiring for it. By the people that were hiring. And so um, I'd actually gotten put in touch with a phone interview um, for what quickly I found out in this, the course of this interview was a front-end development job. Um, really, I think like at the core, the need that they were trying to fill was that they they really didn't have anybody. They have a bunch of full-stack engineers, but they didn't have a lot of people that were specialists on the front-end or really very passionate about it. And so they thought that they could kind of get themselves into a design-build situation, you know, have one person that could have these great ideas and um, also, you know, develop all of them. And, and they they'd you know, they hired a few people and cycled through actually a, a couple of different folks just in a few short months before they talked to me, because I think, you know, in retrospect, that that was a pretty unrealistic role. Um, now, they weren't really even necessarily looking for UX, but they kind of knew that that buzzword was cool. They knew when they saw UX on my resume, that that should be something that they were interested in, but they weren't really clear on why exactly. And so it was an interesting phone call because you know, as it became clear to me that they really ultimately needed someone that could build out their front end, um, you know, and really be 100% accountable for that, I 
I tried to just end the interview right there. I said, well, you know, I know some CSS and I know some HTML and I can definitely speak that language and, you know, build some simple pages. But, you know, ultimately, um, it's my dream to work with somebody that can bring those skills to the table and challenge me. Um, and I don't think you'd want me to be the person building all of that for your company. And and I said, well, I'm going to let you go, you know, and I, I went to sort of hang up the phone. And it was it was funny. The gentleman I was talking to was like, wait, wait, no, 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 don't hang up. Um, I like is what we're looking for unrealistic. And um, I must have just like had a little extra sass in the uh, in the gas tank that day because I said absolutely you know I said I, I really that's what I've been taught is that it's hard for someone to think um, about the end user experience and also build that because um, when you're an engineer you're thinking about the most efficient elegant uh, way to build something and when you're um, a designer you're actually thinking about that end user experience and you're you're coming up with things that are harder to build um, and, and one of the things that I think was one of my more significant winning moments uh, months later when I'd been in the job for a while is I had an engineer actually say that. Um, he's one of my favorites. Uh, and he said something like, you know, Morgan, I like having you here. You make it harder for us to do our job, <laughs> but I have a feeling you're making it way easier for all of our end users to do their jobs. And, you know, I think I've, I've worked now to also be pretty good at uh, making it easy for the engineering teams to do their jobs too. Uh, but it, it, it was a nice compliment to see that we could kind of push that mental shift in, in, in our team, too. Yeah, you hit on a couple things there that, I mean, first of all, I think that's probably one of the most elegant descriptions I've heard of why, why it can be problematic to just have a unicorn at your company or to expect the developers to totally fulfill that user experience and user-focused role. Um, I guess uh, there's a lot of meat there, but but I also want to ask you how I want to hear more about this progression from uh, them having to talk you out of hanging up on the interview, basically, to um, you growing a practice at Spring CM. Because you know you mentioned this engineer um, saying that back to you, giving you that definition back to you, and, and being appreciative of the value that you're bringing, but the reason that um, I'm even talking to you right now is because I was at a product product manager meetup, and one of your product managers um, spotted UX on my name tag and started talking to me about what you were doing. And the way he was describing it was so lucid. Um, <laughs> I was like, "Wow, she she really must be doing something right if you can tell me so clearly." Um, what's great about what she's doing and what her process is. So I would like to hear the kinds of things that you've done. Like you, you mentioned that it was pretty clear to you from talking to them it, just in that first call that um, what they were looking for was really, like they were trying to hire for front-end development, but that they needed more than that. Like well, I, that's one part of what I'd like to hear about. What's different about the hiring process for UX there? And just what, what in general have you been doing? Um, yeah, so, so a lot of, a lot of good meat in that question. Let me um, let me kind of think about tell how I could explain the evolution, how I got Spring CM to embrace UX over the years, and um, because it because it wasn't easy, right? You have to sort of be a crusader, and sometimes people roll their eyes and they're like, "Oh my gosh, if you say the letters U and X one more time, <laughs> you know." And you know, I think some people over the years I had to fight the. Um, what's the right word? Like the bias that like, oh, I just couldn't stop talking about how much I love my job or like, how, I'm kind of like, oh, she just keeps talking about herself. She just keeps talking about UX. 
you know, it, the weird thing about UX is it sort of seems it, it's easy to just treat it like it's UI. Um, it's easy, I think, to for people to think about, oh, okay, I want my website to like look good. I better go get a UX person where they probably would have gotten like a web designer 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and like not to really like people know to use the term UX instead of a, you know, a web designer now, but they don't re re necessarily know what extra stuff we're bringing to the table, right? The part of UX that I think um, is hardest to sell is that research end, you know? And I, yeah. if you're a UX designer and you're just designing without talking to customers, I really strongly believe that um, you are not actually a UX designer. Like, if you didn't talk to a user, you don't, you didn't earn your you. Um, and, and, you know, there's this like myth of the genius designer, you know, like that, that you can hire someone for your, for your company that, that is just going to come up with like the perfect, the perfect design every time, you know, that you can hire, like, I don't know, like a Steve Jobs or something, but, but even Steve Jobs wasn't a genius designer. You know, he brought in a very user centric design process you know, to, to Apple. And we see the success of that throughout history now. And so trying to explain that to people, trying to explain why a user's experience is greater than the sum of the screens we present to them, um, has been, uh, yeah, like a crusade of mine. Right. And so I guess just every second I had, every chance I had, every time somebody, you know, had a beer with me and seemed vaguely interested at a company party, I just start, I just kept talking about it and kept talking about it. And, you know, I guess I had a few resources in my corner when I, when I started. I was the only person who really could use design tools and mock-up screens. And there's something, I make, I make clickable prototypes in Axure that go over huge, right? There's, there's something about having this um, tangible things that really sparks discussion, that really helps describe a feature in ways that words can't. And so, you know, right away I was able to start providing value back to our product teams and start improving communication with our engineers just by putting a design practice in place, you know, without even talking about the quality of that design, just having a practice in place felt like we were doing things better. And I think that that's sort of where I started to gain a little bit of a foothold, right? Like, you know, day one, uh, they didn't know what to do with me, you know, by month six, they didn't know what to do without a clickable prototype. You know, and so, and so it's sort of like, okay, I became the person that um, had, you know, a bit of power in that way, I guess, you know, to say, we have to wait, I have to do research in order to make you that prototype. Or, um, you know, when people push back, you know, to be able to say, I actually went and chatted with our end users and our customers. And the reason it's like this, you know, is because of those conversations. And, you know, I'd like to point you to the videos of me chatting with these people in case you don't believe me. And I think most of the time people don't actually want to, go through uh, hours and hours of interviews, you know, so they sort of believe you or they read your executive summary and think everything in there is good. But, you know, at, at every turn to have substantiation, whether that is, um, you know, knowing some articles to pass along or some, um, you know, sort of higher theory to share with people and to try to explain, you know, why an interface is looking and behaving a certain way or, um, or just to be able to point back to the real end user driven, you know, decision making process that you've gone through you know, at, at every turn, the, the product team, you know, kind of to get back to where you started uh, chatting about having that product manager, he, he spent years and years now listening to me talk about UX. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to work with that guy now because 
he gets that UX isn't something that you um, that you need at the end of a process. It isn't about pitching requirements over a fence. It's about involving us uh, at the very very moment of having your big idea to prove out whether or not that idea has value to the human beings that might use the product that you're considering building. And so I, I spend a lot of time with our product managers just right from the onset when their when their projects start up to provide structure provide research opportunities, and, and to hopefully kind of streamline the process of gaining insight um, into what actually needs to be built, what features and functionalities truly are going to have value and have meaning um, for the people using those business tools. And I think that um, at first it was a little bit hard to sell that because it's easy to think, oh, I got this. I know what people will find valuable. Um, it's really hard to bust out of that mindset of like, you know, to, to, to accept that you are not your user. You're just not, you know, you're, you're every single person I work with is um, way more tech savvy, knows a heck of a lot more about what's going on with our system than the average end users of that system. And that kind of like DQs all of us for being able to speak perfectly to what they need. And I've said that over and over and over again. I even have a pretty funny like little PowerPoint deck that is like four slides long that just kind of hammers home that point. And um, so I've worked with our teams to kind of come up with who we thought all of our personas were to, to put those down into a deck that could kind of encapsulate everything and then to go out and talk to those same characters and prove and disprove our theories around who these people were, um, you know, who took on which roles inside of our big use case. And, and I think that Every time I did that, every time I pushed, I could prove a little bit more what the return on the investment in UX is. And, um, and now I think you know, the UX team, as we've been able to grow, we've become not so much a nuisance uh, you know, in the design process, but more of a really great resource from you know, inception all the way through to testing. Um, so now we work with everybody inside of our entire you know, agile process. And, and I think that we are, a, like I said, a resource to everyone. That, that's great. I, I think that, um, that that is a technique that I've heard have some success. Just have some educational slides and like elevator pitches at the ready for the different groups as they start to get involved with UX. Um, you mentioned, I wanted to ask about the roadmap, the product roadmaps, and at the beginning of the process of um, defining a product, do you does UX have a formal role at SpringCM in in developing the roadmap? Is it more coaching? Um, well, you know, I I have my own UX strategy roadmap, so that's something that we've been able to develop as we've grown a little bit more mature, right? So I think about how I want to shift the character of the experience that people have with our product, and I've actually taken the product team down that path um, with some cool collaborative exercises. Um, have you ever you've probably heard of like customer journey mapping? Right. So we do a, a like kind of a more um, a little bit less about like every touch point along like the marketing uh, route, and a little bit more around all the touch points somebody might have inside of um, a typical use case. So for you know whoever's listening here, it might be useful at this point to explain what we do at SpringCM, which involves um, helping deal documents and basically contracts and other other kinds of documentation uh, get approved. So going through a really standard example would be going through a process where you generate a contract, send it out to your customer for redlining, review it with your legal team to make sure those red lines are uh, acceptable and low risk, and then get a signature on that 
and get that document back into your system, you know, indexed and finalized. And that kind of encapsulates a pretty typical uh, use case for our product. Although we have a lot of kind of edge cases in there that, that throw, a, throw a little extra interest into things uh, sometimes. But so if you're thinking about that, that kind of journey, right, if you think about one character in that journey, we have a, a persona for our sales guy character. We call him Tim Sales. And we, we do these exercises as a product team. We had one just the other day that was really nice. And we talked about every moment from the moment that Tim Sales is like, okay, great, it's time for me to create a contract because I'm about to close this deal all the way through to it actually getting signed. And where are like the emotional highs and lows in that? You know, when his, when his client rejects the contract and has a ton of red lines, like that's an emotional low. When, um, you know, the legal team takes forever to respond because the contract needs like so much negotiation, that can be an emotional low. And then we also looked at our interfaces at, at those moments, at, at our emotional peaks and our emotional valleys. And there are some interfaces that we've been able to touch more recently. Um, Spring CM is a, a software that's been around in um, one version or another for nearly a decade now. Um, so there are pieces of it that are able to, you know, kind of look a little bit more refreshed and really nice and where we've been able to focus this UX thinking. And there are places, frankly, where we, we haven't had that opportunity yet. So as we mapped those, those interfaces back to emotional moments on the journey, we found really great opportunities for what we needed to tackle next. So the things that, uh, the interfaces that were maybe kind of a little staler and we really hadn't done a lot of modern, you know, user-centric thinking around that also happened at moments that were lower on the emotional totem pole. Um, those are our biggest, our biggest moments to fix. And so being able to think like that and work with the entire product team, everybody at the end of that conversation was saying, oh, well, that needs to go on the roadmap. And so that's, I think, a really great UX success story, right, where we are able to use one of our kind of UX techniques to, to think about this. And the outcome was that everybody in the room thought like a UX person for the couple hours that we spent doing it. And then it just automatically was logical that that stuff would make it onto the roadmap. Instead of me alone just like having to swear up and down to our VP of product that, that, that it really should be on the roadmap, you know. So it wasn't me selling it. It was the process selling it. And I think that that's a really good lesson over and over again. If you let UX practices shine, they're, they're going to help you sell your case a lot better than you just saying over and over again that UX is good and important and special and you should listen to me. Like, show, don't tell. Yeah, that is a great example of that. I mean, I know I've seen that work with either folks, um, stakeholders sitting in on user interviews or when you can actually get people to the table to do like proto personas or assumption personas um, that I just have, I have yet to have anyone participate in an activity like that and not have their own ideas uh, about for, for the product, for their business, you know, the value is just evident to them. Yeah. It's, it can be kind of like an interesting and humbling experience, but, and it's, and it's great for us UX practitioners too, because, you know, we, we try so hard to be the experts on thinking about that end user, but sometimes we don't have all the information. Every once in a while, an engineer or a product person has some like great thought that just never would have occurred to me. And so I think it's important too to keep understanding and appreciating the value of having cross-functional teams who all think in a more user-centric kind of a way or who all participate in these kind of UX activities. I agree. I agree. I, I, um, 
I think it's really good if you can just get folks used to being involved in that and feeling more empowered by it, that they are going to be champions for UX. If they've got a little bit of practice with you, um, they're a little more comfortable with the process. I mean, the, the, the less they need us, um, the better, I feel like. I mean, it's not like we're going to run out of things to do. We're not going to run out of work. <laughs> the, like the, the mark of success um, has been that I don't have to go out and like sort of solicit moments to be involved, uh, you know, with a, with a product decision. People are now coming to the UX team and asking for those resources, asking for that help. You know, it's like, I would have had people going rogue and trying to build out interfaces without talking to me when I first started at Spring CM. And now the idea of even writing like an error message without checking in with somebody on my team is like unheard of. And that's fantastic. That's cool. That's just really cool to me. Yeah, that's great. And I want to ask you more about growing your team, but I, I just want to make sure that I'm clear on I'm trying to, to picture the process you described of having a UX roadmap, because I think I heard you talking about a pretty unusual um, use of journey maps, customer journey maps, or, I mean, kind of an innovative use of one, at least. Um, so, so you had a roadmap of use cases relating back to your, um, your user journey maps for your personas, and then you had sessions with the product teams using that, or... Could you kind of summarize how, how that all works together again? Oh, sure. Um, so the customer journey mapping activity that we went through was just something that helped us all as a, as a larger product team. So on our, at SpringCM, first off, UX sits inside of product, right? So that is in and of itself its own win and really, really helpful to a lot of our UX efforts because we're just, we always kind of have our ear to the ground with what's going on throughout the organization on a product level, right? And so, yeah, so one of the, one of the, one of the things we did was got that group together, the larger group together, product and UX and, and went through a typical end user's experience with our business tools because it, Spring CM's complex enough that that, that could happen across the course of an entire month. And it could be experiences that are triggered by getting an email versus uh, triggered by you logging into our system versus um, experiences that happen when you're working inside of other ecosystems like Salesforce. And so I had this sense that um, the overarching user experience was was kind of inconsistent, right? And what I wanted to do was start having some activities that pointed that out to the larger group. And mm-hmm. so that allowed us to think about the interfaces that needed the most love in a way that had the product team running back to their roadmaps and adding those interfaces to the roadmap. Now, I probably confuse things a little bit because I also keep my own Spring CM user experience strategy goals, right? Um, And I think about what I'd like to see on the big product roadmap in order to achieve those goals. so it's it's kind of it's kind of a, a separate document that I that I keep right like wh- how I want to evolve the way it feels to interact with Spring CM. Okay, so um, you've got a, a goal like strategic goals for user experience at Spring CM, and then you're hoping that through these activities that the product roadmaps will align with a, with your overall goals for UX at Spring CM. Sure, because, you know, there are a lot of things that influence a product roadmap, um, you know, 
unfortunately, that don't have a lot to do with the end user's experience and the value it can provide to them. You know, sometimes you have to be competitive inside of a marketplace. Sometimes, um, you know, you have a little bit older code stack and you need to do some, you have some technical debt that needs to be taken care of in order to be able to, you know, provide good performance and, um, you know, make sure you don't break anything. So, you know, sometimes, you know, there are business goals too. You know, we want to build something in order to encourage a partnership, um, you know, and, so that's where this, the bigger roadmap is, doesn't necessarily cater only to the user experience that I want to push forward. So I tend to just kind of stay thinking about that end user and how I want to evolve their experience and then, you know, use my different strategies, sometimes straight up fighting and sometimes really creative, uh, you know, kind of team persuasion activities to push more and more of that uh, user experience strategy into the larger product roadmap. And then is your roadmap, um, is any, are things on it feature specific or are they specific to um, um, specific goals for your different personas or is it at a higher level um, for just low points in the emotional experience of Spring CM that you're hoping to address? Um, little column A, little column B, you know, it's like a you start at a very high level, right? And um, I think about what the what the goals what the goals are. Um, what what I want to change is like kind of the paradigm of things, right? We have a Spring CM is a business tool, and I think traditionally um, the user experience with a, a business tool would be something you would be expected to learn how to use. You know, it's work for a reason. You've been given this you know, crazy old application that you have to figure out how to use. You have to read all the documentation for, right? And I think when I started, Spring CM was a little bit more that kind of that kind of product, right? We had training and documentation and tons and tons of features. It could slice and dice and make fries, you know, put barcodes on things. I mean, like I, I, I make this joke a lot, which is I, I discover like a new thing that our product can do like each year and it surprises me, you know? Um, yeah, like it, it makes toast. Um, so, right, exactly. And, and I think that that actually like Swiss Army Knife is a great word because um, we thought we had a product, you know, that for many years we kept growing and growing and growing the features inside of it, thinking that it could be a one-stop shop for every type of document-related need um, that a company might have, right? And the world changed as Spring CM grew. Uh, you don't win deals anymore by having the most features. You win deals by being uniquely good at solving the problem that uh, people are purchasing a product for, right? So as we got more and more purchase into the CLM, which is the contract lifecycle management uh, market, we started to really focus in on which things people needed to be successful in CLM and which things maybe they, they didn't need as much. And it didn't mean that we were going to kill those features, but I did get challenged to think about how we could hide them or um, you know, kind of make it easier to focus on the things you needed without seeing any clutter of the things that you didn't need. And that, you know, that for me was for a long time was was my mission to push back and say, why must that extra piece of functionality be on the page? So when we redesign an interface that we've had for six years, right, to ask, why are there so many settings? Why are there so many options? Can you get me the data on who's even used these settings over the years? Can I have conversations to discover uh, which settings are important and should be prominent on the page and which ones maybe should be hidden under a more menu? You know, that kind of a thing. So a lot of the work that we've been doing on the UX team is to 
take a really complex thing and simplify it for a much more specific use case than it was ever built for initially. Were there examples of the user experience work um, contributing more knowledge to that process of prioritizing what is important and what isn't important to CLM? Oh, absolutely. I think that's why you're able to have that conversation with a product manager that could speak very highly of UX and its value to the whole product team, right? Um, so I, I, having conversations, keeping our product managers on the phone so they could actually hear users say, no, I don't use that. No, I never understood what that meant. You know, because otherwise the conversation becomes, okay, well, product person, why do I have to draw this feature on the page? And they say, well, because it does this thing. And you're like, yeah, well, what's the value of that thing? Is your team at SpringCM still pretty small? Well, we're growing, but yeah, we have three people now. So that really beats one, the U.S. <laughs> team of one. Um, we also work occasionally with some research consultants if they have a big enough research project that I can actually pass it along um, to somebody else. That's somebody I, I would work with really closely um, I don't totally believe in outsourcing resource, uh, well, sorry, uh, I don't totally believe in outsourcing research um, without being involved in that process, right? Because right. so much of the learning that goes into a research initiative happens by being a part of it, not just by reading a document at the end of it. Um, so, but we do have some people that we work with in terms of consulting in that way, and we have um, a visual design resource that we pull in. Um, from our marketing department, and we also occasionally work with some other graphic designers to help build assets and stuff that you know allows the UX team at SpringCM to really stay focused on what they're uniquely good at. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's the makeup of our team. We've got a, a nice a nice group, and like I said, we sit inside the product team. And over the years, I've I've tried to make a UXer of every product manager I've run into. You know, so those folks are actually also pretty successful when it comes to leading interviews um, and, and being kind of an additional resource to user-centric thinking. So maybe I'll write the interview script, right? And, um, and then they'll, they'll be co-pilots and help conduct interviews and listen to them and analyze things with us. So, you know, really kind of distributing the, that thinking to everybody has helped the team be kind of even stronger than just the direct reports I have it right now. Absolutely. Well, and one reason why I ask about the size of your team is because I would imagine that you might be looking for maybe a different combination of skills if you're hiring your very first um, person to add to your team of one versus as you continue to grow and maybe some folks might specialize. Yeah, I think that, you know, it is easier to start out by hiring generalists. Um, because you never quite know what you're going to need to throw at them, right? It's all about keeping up with the schedule and making sure that things are designed and ready to go in their best possible state at the moment when they need to be, you know, begin begin being developed. Um, so yeah, it is. We have kind of gone a little bit more towards generalists um, historically, and I, we are starting to move more into having a bit of specialty talent. Um, we have an interesting project going on, and this isn't exactly the UX team, but it's kind of another effort that I lead. Um, we have, for the first time in a long time in Spring CM's history, we hired uh, people that are uniquely good at building front end as opposed to just getting only full stack developers. Um, we started hiring people that actually like make it, their, they're very passionate. They make it, they're made their career out of building cool front end um, experiences. And so 
as we've started working with them, as the UX team started working with this particular team of engineers, we've been able to build an entire um, componentized style language, um, like a design system. And so that's another piece of the puzzle because there's always someone or a couple of people in UX feeding the next component that needs to be built. Um, and the next thing that needs to go into that library that empowers our, our interfaces. So we have a, a lot of really serious sort of design and specification work going on there. And then on the other end of things, we have a lot of like nice big like discovery research projects. Like we're really focused right now on how do we how do we become the next generation of business solutions you know, in the market that I've described to you in that CLM use case? And so while I may be working on those big thinking research initiatives with the rest of the product managers, with our VP of product, I also have a team of um, both designers and engineers that are building out all the little pieces that will become the building blocks of the solution that ultimately powers that next generation, uh, you know, of, of uh, product that we're working on. That sounds really fun. I can imagine that that's, that that's fun for your team to be working closely with the, with the front end developers who, who that's really their thing. That's their jam. Yeah. It's amazing how much better our um, interfaces got on the day that we hired, started hiring people that like uniquely care about that. Um, if if you know if you're if you're a full stack developer, you might be a little bit more interested in like database architecture and whatever. And sure, you can do HTML and CSS. It's not beyond you. But is it what you love? And I think that that's you know I, that's just a life lesson, right? Like do do what you love, and you're going to make much much better stuff than if you're sort of being forced to you know put some pretty CSS on something that you really don't care about as much. Sure, sure. Um, for, for other people who might be a team of one who are going to get the chance to expand the team or they're starting out as UX managers who are tasked with growing their team, um, what would you tell them to look for as they're hiring folks? You know, even before you, even before you get the opportunity to hire someone, Christy, I think the more interesting question is like, how do you even get to that point? How do you even get another open rec? If you're a UX team of one, they brought you in thinking you could do everything and they don't even know what everything is. They don't even know the full gamut of what UX can do, where we can help in the process. They're probably thinking that you're going to somehow come in and take lists of requirements from your product team and make really cool looking UI, right? Yes. So how do you get to a point where you're actually able to hire more people than just you, right? And I think that the important part there is about proving out the value and proving out where UX can help throughout the process. And so, and, and this will get back around to what I look for in somebody because, because I want everybody that I hire to help me continue to grow the team, which means continue to prove the value that we can offer to everybody. And so I think about the fact that UX never can quite fit into, we don't have a perfect place where we fit into like the agile process, right? And for a lot of years, I struggled with that, and I was kind of challenged with that, and I tried to make, you know, absolute UX design moments, like, okay, then it comes over the fence to us, and then we'll, and it never quite worked until I acknowledged that we don't need to fit into one particular place in the process. We actually belong everywhere. We're like air, man. <laughs> we're, we're that important, you know, and um, yeah, I, I think I could imagine a few of my coworkers rolling their eyes a little bit here, but like... <laughs> 
proving out that value. Now we talked a lot about how I've been able to prove value uh, to our product team, right? But then think of think about how you can be valuable to engineers. Think about how you can be valuable to your QA team, right? And UX practitioners are uniquely good at empathizing. It just is a skill that you you kind of have to have, I think, to be great at UX, right? So what I started doing was applying that empathy to the people I worked with and thinking about what their goals are. You know, um, a developer, one of our engineers, they're the builders and they take great pride in building something well, building it on schedule. If you think about them, if you think of yourself as the architect and them as the builder, then your job is to pass along like a great set of blueprints to be able to have thought through every single, you know, every single thing, you know, where the, where the heating and the ductwork is going to go and what's going to happen when you hit a 90 degree angle. And, you know, I mean, really to have thought through all the details and given them a complete set of, um, I guess, instructions or a, a complete picture of what the goal is uh, for what they're building, right? And then that component library that we've been building also empowers the engineers. They don't push back as hard against UI because they actually already have all the little building blocks, all the pieces to make the thing that, that we, that we're asking them to make, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, your QA team, we had a little bit of a, we've had some challenges initially with our QA team because they thought of our software traditionally um, one way and they kind of thought of themselves as the end users and sometimes they would see some of the more, I don't know, I'm going to say revolutionary things we were designing as uh, standing in the way of usability as opposed to, you know, pushing it forward because it was not familiar to them. And so what, what has really helped would be to think about what their goal is. Like they want a list of things to test against, to be able to declare whether or not it's successful or it's a failure. And so to, to know that keeping acceptance up to date as things are being built, to loop them into understanding how, how we got to that acceptance, how, how we got to wanting to evolve the, the experience a little bit beyond maybe their comfort zone. Um, and, and also to paint a little bit bigger picture of where that's going to go to help develop some sort of system level criteria that should always be met around the user experience, like simple things like that are easy to ignore and not necessarily really fun to think about when it comes to design, like error messaging and the consistency and how that's handled, a validation, you know, when, when do form fields get validated when you click out of the field or when you hit the save button, you know, these are the kind of conversations that a QA team is really interested in. And, you know, at first I kind of wanted to roll my eyes and be like, oh man, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the fun stuff. But have those conversations with people, prove out that you can think through them and that you care and that um, you can add value there and, and give them an opportunity too to say what they're thinking and what they think would be the best experience. And then all of a sudden you get everybody on the same page. And instead of having, um, you know, a, a QA person going back to the product, uh, you know, product person running something and saying, I don't like the user experience of this, they're coming to you and saying, Hey, uh, you know, back to our conversation from the other week, the thing you designed made me think of an, another cool new idea that can make all of us stronger, you know? And so it's all been about empathizing with every person that we touch throughout the software, uh, you know, development life cycle. And, and what I try to look for now when I hire employees are, are people that can, can play that game, right? That can uniquely empathize with the other employees that they're working with um, and, and be just like a really great what's the right word, like a kind of a, a wonderful lubricant to the whole process. And, um, and of course, you know, defend that, 
defend that end user experience because ultimately we are also the people that care the most about that in every at every step of the way. It's amazing how um, how quickly you can minimize that pushback when you show that you've put intelligent thinking behind something that you've been thoughtful about it. Oh, I love to talk to people about what they're what they're doing at their particular job for their particular projects. I think that it's just so helpful because I think that you know once you've been involved in UX long enough to know the difference between UX and UI and to have a good grasp on the difference between roles, um, you might know the methodologies and the tools, but it always helps to hear how people are tailoring that to what they're working on. Yeah, and you know, actually, th- I've been thinking about this a lot, and I want to kind of get this in before I let you go, but is it was very easy to walk in the door and kind of assume that everybody knew a lot more about UX than they actually did. And nobody ad- admits when they don't know something, you know, that's just like an embarrassing thing to do in business anyway. Yeah. So what I've realized more and more is that I need to keep it simpler and simpler, you know, like back up, start from zero. Like, what do I mean when I say UX? And, you know, I'll say that obviously in a way that doesn't, you know, belittle somebody who thinks they have a great definition of UX, you know, that, I don't know, a lot of the problem solving has kind of come back to don't assume anybody knows what you're doing or what its value is. Demonstrate that on a daily basis instead. Yeah, that's that's um, a good point. I think that I know sometimes I'll be inclined to get through a discussion to the interesting parts and I'll move really quickly through terms that I assume are widely known. And it, I think it's good, too, to just choose simpler language, um, avoid the jargon where you can. I know we had on our <laughs> – one of the questions we had here was uh, talking about evangelizing UX, and I know – Something I want to do as I'm going forward in this series is just point out jargon and and talk about words that work and words that don't work. So, Yeah, it's hard in UX because if you say what we do simply, it's like the reaction is like, duh. You know, like I remember starting out and when we'd be debating, you know, how something should look or behave or whether a feature should exist or not, you know, saying to our product team, well, let's go talk to customers. And and I had one guy that would be like, yeah, I mean, you think, you think maybe that's a cool idea. How come you get to just say that over and over again? Is that your job? So yeah, that's kind of my job is just to say that over and over again. So it's like, it's like when you, when you come up with the simpler version of things, like, I don't know, let's talk to people about it. Everyone's like, well, that wasn't a genius statement, you know? And then, and then there's like the more kind of heady theoretical thinking, which, which we're very capable of doing in UX. There's all sorts of that kind of thinking in UX, but that like just the jargon, like makes people zone out and, you know, they don't, they don't pay as much attention to it, you know? And so striking that balance can be really challenging. I think again, it's about demonstrating, you know, it's okay. The same person that was like, Oh yeah, you think we should like maybe talk to customers. We'd do that if we ever had time for it is somebody today who, uh, can lead, you know, can lead interviews now who wouldn't dream of starting to build a feature without talking to at least a few people about it. And, and not because I continued to like talk about how important user research is. It's because I just sort of ignored him and went and set up an interview. And, you know, a few months later, he couldn't live without it. Yeah, I, there's this practicing, how do you pitch this within your company? How do you talk about it in a way that gets some traction, it's resonating with people? Um, 
and I think part of it is like jumping to, to doing and demonstrating like, yeah. like you've been talking about. But I think also part of it, you, you mentioned you just, you didn't, you took it in stride, his comment, his duh comments. And um, I think part of it is just taking that kind of um, negative feedback and, and being objective about it and just changing your approach. Yeah. I, I make a lot of jokes. Like, like I'll say, um, nothing's ever easy until after I design it, you know, like I, I just, <laughs> I try to always have like, you know, kind of like a, like one-offs, you know, but it's also sort of reinforcing that message. Like what we do can seem deceptively simple, but a, a lot of work goes into it. And the activities we do uh, as part of that work are valuable to a larger population than just the UX people at your company. That's great. Well, um, thank you so much for, for doing this interview with me. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking with me, for being interested in what we're doing. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Women in Design. Please leave us comments in SoundCloud. We can't wait to hear from you. And please review us in iTunes. It helps other women in design find us and find each other. I'm Christy in Chicago saying bye.